And Father, we do ask as we study your word, as we continue in Jeremiah, that you would just bless this time. Touch our hearts. We need encouragement. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, take your word, work it deep within our hearts, that it may take root there, and it may produce fruit in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Jeremiah has been speaking truth and, and remembered that uh, he was there at the end of chapter 19, if you were with us in our study last week, in the court of the Lord's house. And as you read it, and I'm going to read it to you, then in verse 14 of chapter 19, Jeremiah came to Tophet, where the Lord has sent him to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's house, and he said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on this city and on all her towns all the doom that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their necks, that they may not hear my words. And of course, Jeremiah, as he's speaking truth, he has been speaking about impending doom that's going to come to the nation here because they had rejected the Lord. And they have made the decision that we are going to follow the dictates of our hearts, making excuses, continuing to be involved in false worship and, and turning to idols and listening to the false teachers and prophets and spiritual leaders that were on the scene. So here is Jeremiah. He's at the court of uh, the Lord's house, and he said that you have stiffened your neck. In other words, you've hardened your hearts against the Lord, and that is not a good place to be. And whenever we harden our hearts against the Lord or the word of the Lord, Whenever we stiffen our necks, become stubborn, or we are, make a determination that we're going to do our own thing and follow the dictates of our own heart, then that's a road that is going to lead us to do despair and, and defeat and, you know, and all kinds of discouragement and bondage that will happen to us. So the loving Father in His Word is saying to us, follow after me. Because his ways are right and good. And there's blessing in that. So as we continue now in chapter 20, now Pasher, the son of Emmer, the priest who was also chief governor, in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah the prophesied these things. Then Pasher struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of of the Lord. And so we see that Pasher here, his name means prosperity all around. That was the message of the religious leaders, of the spiritual leaders, that there's going to be no judgment, there's going to be no difficulty, it's going to be peace. And they were speaking a prosperity type of message, ignoring the word of the Lord, and that was his message. So here he is, as he's the assistant to the high priest and chief security officer for the temple, Pasher, he has Jeremiah arrested, beaten, and put into stocks. Now, we're not talking about the New York Stock Exchange, you know, Apple and, and Boeing stock, but in shackles. And this would be at the place of where the temple was, where people could see him, a, a, a permanent place at the temple where it would add to Jeremiah's shame. And Jeremiah body would be all twisted in, in, in stocks, and it would be very, very painful. And he was left that way all night long. And Pasher and the other religious leaders would think that this ought to teach Jeremiah a lesson, 
This ought to shut him up. And it would not be the only time that Jeremiah is beat up and persecuted. We have seen before this that, that he began to hear the rumblings uh, uh, of those coming against him. But now they are persecuting, persecuting him physically. And that's going to continue as we go through the book of Jeremiah. We continue in verse 3. And it happened the next day that Pasher brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. And then Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has not called your name Pasher, but Magar Mishsabib. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and you, your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. So Jeremiah, he doesn't shut up. Uh, he is bold here. He lets Pasher have it. He says, Your name is no longer going to be prosperity all around, but it's going to be Magar Misabib, which means fear and terror all around. For the very first time, as we read here, in, in, in particularly in verse 4, that Jeremiah specifically says that the Babylonians are coming. It's the first time that he specifically names them. Previously, it was always an, uh, an invasion from the north that was coming. Or you're going to go off into a foreign land. But now he's saying that it's going to be by the hands of the Babylonians. And you see, the Babylonians at this time are growing in power. They're growing in strength. The empire is beginning to spread. And as we continue in verse 5, Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city, all its produce, and all its precious things, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah I will give into the hand of their enemies who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die and be buried there, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. So they put him in stocks. He's in pain all night long. Uh, they thought that's going to shut him up. This is going to teach him a lesson. And, and Jeremiah comes right back and he says that your name is going to be changed, which means to fear and terror all around because you're going to go off into captivity. You're going to die in Babylon, you and your family. And it's going to be terrible. Now, to go into captivity and die in a foreign land was to the Jews, a, 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 a judgment. They, they, they knew enough of that. And it was judgment. And Pasher and his family would experience that. It's no longer prosperity all around, but the prosperity is going to be given to the Babylonians. Now, this has probably taken place, you know, during Jehoiakim's reign. Now, Jehoiakim, he would come on the scene after Josiah. We've talked about him. That's where Jeremiah started his ministry during the reign of Josiah, the last of the godly kings in Judah. He ends up getting killed up in the valley of Megiddo, the Jezreel Valley, by the king of Egypt. And that happens in about 607 B.C. His son comes on the throne for a few months. J.O.A. has. And then Jehoiakim reigns for about 11 years, from about 607 B.C. to 597 B.C. And, and so we are really close 
here to the first invasion of Babylon. Babylon comes in in three waves, three waves of captivity. In 605 B.C., uh, he comes in, and as Nebuchadnezzar learns that his father has died, he's ascending to the throne. He's there doing battle against the uh, Egyptians, and, and, uh, and he's uh, in battle there as he then has to get back to Babylon to take the throne, and he uh, stops by Jerusalem and Judah, and he takes the choice men of Judah away captive. That would be Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then you begin to hear about how Daniel is used as he is there, as long as his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are their Babylonian names. And Azariah, Mishael, and and off the top of my head, I can't think of the third Hebrew name. But you know the story of those guys. And they were trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. Well, then another wave comes in 597 B.C. at the end of Jehoiakim's reign as he would be taken off uh, into captivity as well. And others, and Ezekiel would be taken off into captivity in 597 B.C. And also during this time, the temple is plundered. And, and the vessels and, and the treasuries that are in the temple would go off to Babylon. And you might remember in the days of Hezekiah, a uh, hundred years before the first wave of captivity came, that Hezekiah was, uh, he was hosting some envoys from Babylon. And you recall in the book of Isaiah, as Isaiah records to us, in uh, chapter 39 of Isaiah that uh, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, hey, who were those guys? Well, th these are envoys from a little empire uh, from Babylon. And Isaiah said, okay, Jeremiah or, uh, Hezekiah, what did you show them? I showed them everything. I showed them the treasuries of the temple and what we have. And Isaiah, he said that this is going to happen. The day's going to come, not in your day, Hezekiah, but the time's going to come when the choice men of Judah are going to be taken off in captivity and those treasures are going to be taken off, the treasuries of the house of the Lord. And you see, those envoys were recording things, and so they had it all in record, and all of a sudden, those treasuries of the Lord's house are taken away. And then in 586 B.C., we see the final wave of captivity as Nebuchadnezzar surrounds Jerusalem, and then he destroys Jerusalem, levels it, levels Solomon's temple, and there's great death and destruction and devastation as Jeremiah speaks of that in these prophecies. So here he, he's saying, listen, that, that you are going to have terror on all sides. You're going to go off into Babylon, and you and your friends are, are going to die and be buried there, and, and you who have prophesied lies. And as we continue now in verse 7, so here is Jeremiah. Keep in mind, as now we go into verse 7, that Jeremiah is speaking these words, you know, great courage, very much in boldness, but also 
Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in Darison daily. Everyone mocks me, for when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me, a reproach in a Darison daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. Verse 9. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Amazing verses here. Now, in this, you know, lamenta Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah was a very sensitive. He was, I think, an emotional guy. He was a passionate man. And here he is. He's up one minute on the mountain. He's speaking boldly right to, you know, the leaders of of Jerusalem. We're going to see that he continues to do that. Uh, When we get to chapter 22, he'll bring him out and he'll take a, uh, you know, a pot as we saw. Well, that was actually last week, the sign of the broken flask in chapter 19. And he breaks it and he says, this is what's going to happen to you. So chapter 19, he has great boldness to speaking to the leaders. He's at the court of the Lord's house, speaking the word of the Lord in judgment. And here he speaks even after he's in shackles. But now all of a sudden you see that he's down. He's one minute proclaiming God's word. And then the next minute he's in the valley, as we're reading here. And as I think about this, I think about the men of faith that that on one minute, the great boldness on the mountaintop, and then the next minute, they're in the valley or in the desert. Elijah, that happened with him. You know the story of 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19. Elijah, he he says to Ahab and, and the people of the ten northern tribes of Israel, how long are you going to be between two opinions? If Baal is God, then worship him. But if Jehovah is God, then you need to turn to him and submit yourself to him. So he challenged this, gave a challenge to the 450 prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. And it was Elijah that called down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. A great victory to show the the power of God, the reality of God. That Baal was a false god. And then they took the 450 prophets and down in the valley below at the brook that they slew the 450 prophets. Great victory, great courage, great power that was demonstrated through Elijah, that fiery prophet. But then Jezebel comes along and gives a message to Elijah and says, Elijah, what you've done to my prophets. Jezebel was a violent Woman, She was the wife of Ahab, the king of the ten northern tribes. She killed some of the prophets of the Lord. Um, she, she was just a very evil person. And she said, Elijah, I'm going to lop your head off, just like you, you did to my prophets. And so Elijah takes off when he gets that message. He runs all the way down to Arabia, to the mountain of God. And in a day's journey, as he's there in the desert, he's there sleeping an angel wakes him up, and Elijah's going, Lord, just do me in. Just, just go ahead and slay me. Talk about being depressed and defeated. He says, you know, it, it might as well just be over. And the angel said, arise, Elijah, and eat, for the journey is long. And as you read those chapters, Elijah, he, he's there in the cave in the mountain of God, 
and there was a mighty wind that broke up the rocks. There was a mighty earthquake that shook the mountain. There was a fire that came through. But it tells us that the Lord wasn't in the wind. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And the Lord wasn't in the fire. But he heard the still small voice of the Lord. Saying, Elijah, why are you here? Why are you in this cave of despair and depression? I got things for you to do. I have a plan for you. I am not done with you. I think about David, how David, he, he was just even too young to be in the armies of Israel. And, and he comes there to the valley of Elah. And there's the giant Goliath stomping up and down the valley, issuing a challenge, the champion Goliath. And David says, uh, you know, are you going to listen to this? Who is this, you know, uncircumcised Philistines that defile the armies of the living God? I'll go out and fight. And David with this sling defeated Goliath and it was a great victory. But yet you see David as well in the Psalms as he was crying out to the Lord as he would express in the Psalms how he soaked his pillow with tears and he would say, why is my soul so downcast, O Lord? David would find those times of great victory but being down again. I think about Paul the Apostle in the New Testament when his third missionary journey, he's in Ephesus. He makes the city of Ephesus his base of operation and he has the school Tyrannus. He's teaching disciples for two years and some of those young men go out and they start churches throughout proconsular Asia. Those churches that we have epistles in the New Testament, Colossians, and we also see the letters written in the book of Revelations, chapters two and three in proconsular Asia, those churches that were started by those men out of the ministry that Paul did in Ephesus. The whole city was given over to the gospel. People were bringing their magic books and, and burning them, and people stopped buying the idols. There was great power demonstrated in Ephesus, great fruit that was produced through the ministry of Paul the Apostle. He stayed there longer in Ephesus than in any other city in his missionary journeys. Great victory. Dynamic church started. And then all of a sudden, there's a riot. The silversmiths. And Paul has to leave. And when he writes 2 Corinthians, after he leaves Asia, he says, you know that when we left Asia, that we were pressed beyond measure. We were even despaired of life. But he goes on to say that the God who is the God of all comfort comforts us in all of our tribulations. Listen. There are times where we just have great victory and the Lord is doing a work and it's amazing to see. But then there are times where we can get down and we get discouraged. We find ourselves in a cave of discouragement. We find ourselves in a valley of despair. We find ourselves being pressed beyond measure to where Paul says also in 2 Corinthians, he says that there were, were outside, there, there were fears that were going on and conflicts that were going on as well. We were so pressed. We were going through difficulty, but yet he goes on to say, that we can be hard-pressed, but we're not defeated. We're not crushed. Because we have the Lord. And I think that perhaps the Lord tonight would speak to, to some that are listening. 
that maybe before all this began to shut down, that the, the Lord was really working and things were happening and business was good. And all of a sudden, everything has changed. And you find yourself in times of discouragement or being anxious or fearful or, or defeated. And I want you to know this, that the Lord is still working in your life and his promises are still true for you. And as you look to him, he's going to minister his comfort and truth to you, and he's going to provide for you. You know, these examples that we see of the ups and downs of godly men, they were used of God because they lived above all the, the feelings that would overwhelm them, and they walked by faith, not just by their feelings. And I know that it can be so overwhelming for us. He walked by faith eventually. He was honest with his feelings. And we will have feelings and we will have times of discouragement, but we are not defeated. We have victory in Jesus Christ. And here we see that Jeremiah, he's questioning even the call of God in his life. And when the servants of God find themselves going through difficulty or persecution because they have been faithful to minister this can happen. Jeremiah is even saying, Lord, you seduced me to ministry. Now, as we look at the calling of Jeremiah in chapter 1, the Lord didn't seduce him. The Lord didn't trick him. The Lord didn't deceive him in the ministry. God told Jeremiah that he would be persecuted, that his own brethren are going to come against him and fight against him. But if he trusted the Lord, the Lord would make him a fortified city. And that's a word for you here tonight in the difficulty that you find yourself in. That the Lord is going to strengthen you and make you a fortified city because he is your strength. He is your certainty. He's your place of stability. And he's going to see you through. He's going to see me through. And Jeremiah here in verse 9 says, I quit. I'm not going to speak the word anymore. But it burned in his heart. He burned in his heart to where he says, I can't hold it back. I've got to speak it. The word of God is alive and it's powerful. And as we're speaking, you might be thinking, I'm so discouraged. I'm so defeated. But you have the word of God to speak to your spouse, to your children, to your grandchildren, to family members, to your neighbors. You have truth to deliver to them. And I know many of you, you know how this feels. You, you don't feel like, feel like saying anything, but Lord, I've got to. I've got to give what I know is truth in the gospel message. It's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So here is Jeremiah in the honesty of his heart. He's saying, listen, everybody mocks me and, and I shout up violence and plunders all around me. And, and I'm not going to speak of you anymore. There have been times where I've gone through discouragement. I think, Lord, uh, I, there's a lot of easier things to do. But the word of God burns in my heart. I want to speak the word of God. I want to be faithful to it. I want to continue to give it to you. I want to be a voice of truth. And you know how that is. You be a voice of truth to the people that are linked to you in your life. 
But as we read in verse 10, for I heard many mockings and fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can induce. Then we will prevail against him, and we will take our refuge, our, that is, our revenge on him. Uh, as we read this, uh, here is, um, you know, Jeremiah settles the matter on his calling. He once again faces his problems. Listen, this is what faith does. Faith doesn't ignore the problems. Faith faces the problems and the difficulties honestly. But then we seek God's help. And the people mock Jeremiah and they're watching him so that they could expose him, so that it could trap him. They did that with Jesus, the religious leaders. We're going to see that going through Matthew's gospel. Especially in this last week, they wanted to arrest him so bad they were trying to trap him and back him into a corner. And you see, the enemy comes against us, and he's the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night. And he's going to kick you and me while we're down and feeling discouraged. He's not going to cut us any slack. Uh, They nicknamed Jeremiah fear on every side. But what Jeremiah begins to do is he turns to the Lord and, and he remembers the promises of the Lord. And what is amazing, this is the key, listen. He begins to praise the Lord. Verse 11, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will greatly be ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. The Lord is with me, and he's with you. And he is mighty, and he is awesome. It reminds me of of the book of Nehemiah in chapter 4. Nehemiah comes back after the Babylonian captivity to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And and as he does, the city's in rubble. The people are frustrated. Uh, There's the enemies that are uh, mocking them, Tobiah, Sambalot, and the others. Uh, The work seems so difficult. And, And Nehemiah, he begins to encourage you know, the people, he, he, he's speaking to them. And he says, remember the Lord, great and awesome. He stationed the men in front of their families where they were staying. And they had a trial one hand and they had the sword in the other hand to, to protect their family, to, to fight off the enemy. And you see sometimes right now that some of you are feeling like all the rubble around us, things have fallen apart Things have collapsed. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Listen. Listen. The Lord is great and awesome. And he's given us victory. And you fight. And Nehemiah said, you fight for your wives. You fight for your brethren. You fight for your children. You fight the good fight of the Spirit. And that's what you and I are to do because the Lord is mighty and He's the awesome one. And our persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. The enemy that comes against us, the difficulties that we face, they will not prosper. And you have a trial on one hand. You do what you can do. You keep working. You keep ministering. You have the sword of the Spirit in the other hand, the Word of God, and keep going to the Word of God and giving the Word of God. And know that He will be faithful to you. 
even as I've said this before, Spurgeon said that if he's been faithful to you in six trials, he'll be faithful to you in the seventh. And I want us to also know, I can't help but think about in my devotion that um, in Habakkuk chapter 3 this morning, I was reading a devotion from Spurgeon, and he quoted this, and it really spoke to my heart, and I want to read it. It's Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 to the end of the book. And it says this, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the, yield, and the fields yield no food, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. I think that's a word for some of us here tonight. The fig tree may not blossom. There may be no fruit on the vines. The fields yield no food. The flock is cut off from the fold. Uh, there's no animals, you know, in the stalls. But even through all of that, I am going to rejoice in you, Lord. And you are my joy and you are my salvation. And you are my strength. And you will make my feet like deer's feet. And you're going to make me walk on high hills. I pray that's a great encouragement to you because that's a promise for you. That even though in the dry times and the difficulties, he is your strength and salvation and we can praise him. And that joy begins to come into our hearts. So Jeremiah begins as he turns to the Lord. Let's continue in verse 12. But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For I have pleaded my cause before you. And sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor and from the hand of evildoers. So Jeremiah, he turns to the Lord and remembers his promises, begins to praise him. We need to remember his promises. That no weapon formed against us will prosper. That he promised he'd never leave us or forsake us. That he will work all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. That promise there in Romans chapter 8 is not saying that he's going to make the bad good. But what he's going to do, he's going to work good in the bad, in the difficulty, in the trials, in the losses. He's going to work for good. And what is that? To conform you and me into the image of Jesus Christ. And even in the times of brokenness, in the times of difficulties, he he is going to work incredible things if we just submit to him and allow him and trust him and then he wants to bring us to that place of resting in him and resting in his love that is a message for all of us and whatever it is that we're facing because some of you may be saying it isn't about COVID-19 it's about a difficult marriage that I'm in it's about a child of mine that's a prodigal right now. It's about somebody I love very much that is in a bondage of addiction to drugs and alcohol. And I pray with people, and especially over the last couple months, 
that are hurting, that are confused, that are going through the difficulties with family members, with people that they love, through losses. And I want to tell them that the Lord loves them and his promises are still true. And to keep close to him, don't withdraw from him. And we can focus so much on the difficulties. And I can do that. And when I do, I stay in that cave of depression. I stay in that valley of despair. Uh, I stay where I'm hard-pressed. I want to focus on God's promises. And I want to have his joy and his power. And we see Jeremiah, what he does is he falls right back into despair after verse 13 saying, Sing to the Lord and praise the Lord, for he's delivered the life of the poor and from the hand of evildoers. Then he says, Cursed be the day in which I was born. He falls right back into despair. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man who cursed who brought news to my father saying, A male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry of the morning and the shouting at noon. Because he did not kill me from the womb, that my mother might have been my grave, and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame? He's in a terrible despair. He's in a terrible funk here. He says, curse the day I was born. And he finishes this, this lament here by saying, why did I come forth? It's nothing but labor and sorrow. All my days are, you know, should be consumed with shame. And here the, he just is saying this in the honesty of his heart. My life is nothing but trouble and shame. And why did I come forth? Why was I born? To just see toil and sorrow? And the Lord answers him, we will see, and says, no, Jeremiah, you came forth to be used of me. You came forth that you may do my good pleasures and speak my word. Because I have a very special purpose for you and you are valuable to me and you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 that we should do them. You see, he didn't have you be born. He knew all about you even before the foundation of the world. He knew who you would be, when you would be born, and you didn't come forth from the womb just to see toil and sorrow, but to receive salvation through a loving God who sent his son to die for you on the cross. For you to be forgiven and born again by the spirit of God and come into the family of God and now to be his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, for his good pleasures, to be used of the Lord, to be a light to others. And it's so glorious because he has a special purpose for you. Listen, God knows our frame, but we're but dust. But it is no accident that you were born. And we can bring our honesty before the Lord in our hearts. But I want you to know this. 
May you embrace the truth of the Lord that he has a plan for you. That he wants to work in you and through you. He wants you to see that his promises are true for you and to experience that abundant life. Get your eyes on the Lord. Let's get our eyes on him. We are here for such a time as this. I'm really beginning to, to see that and embrace it, that, that he has allowed these things to happen. None of these things were in our control. It, it has affected the whole world. But you and I are here to be salt and light, and he has not forgotten about us. And we will be up and down at certain times. We will toss and turn. We'll be discouraged. But in those times, keep close to the Lord. Look to him. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. And he wants to continue to do work in your life. He wants to show himself faithful to you and to make you a thing of beauty. You know, 2 Corinthians, when Paul's talking about when we came out of Asia, we were pressed beyond measure, but he's the God of all comfort. And he talks about how the Lord makes a thing of beauty out of even the brokenness of our own lives. And he desires to do that. And as he's speaking that, I think it's a good word for us. Uh, even as we hear Paul the Apostle, he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may, may be of God and not of us. We were hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We were perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down and not destroyed, always carrying about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. In these earthen vessels, that's you and me, we have this treasure that is the excellence of the power of God may be not of us, but of him manifested through our brokenness. And he wants to make us, even in the brokenness of our lives, a thing of beauty. And to be a light to others. That others may see, hey, what's different about you? Because everything seems to be difficult and falling apart and confusing, but yet you have assurance, you have a certainty, you have a peace, you have a joy about you. And we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them to be a light. Keep looking to him. Know that he wants to do work in you and then through you as we look to him. Because he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations. That we might be used of him and strengthened because he is our strength that we may set feet like deer's feet upon the high hills. So, Father, as we end here, we, we thank you for this word tonight. And, and I'm sure that as some of us need to hear this word, that, Lord, that you are victorious, that you're our strength, that, Lord, that you didn't have us be born at this time to be defeated and in despair and have sorrow all the time. We go through those times. And in the honesty of our hearts, we share those with you. You know, but we're but dust, but we don't want to remain there. We want to call upon you, a loving God who desires to bring comfort to us. We want to praise you. We want to give thanksgiving to you and declare your marvelous works. And I pray for those who are feeling really down right now. Maybe that maybe they seem to be more and more losing hope. 
or the uncertainty is growing or the anxiousness or the fears, that, Lord, that you would bring not fear, but, Lord, that you would bring comfort. It wouldn't be anxiety, but it'd be a peace that passes understanding as we come to you to give you our supplication with thanksgiving that the peace of God that passes all understanding may guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For those who are confused, that you would bring, Lord, clarity, certainty. That is you, that you're with us. You promise you never leave us or forsake us. That you would bring strength when we are weak, emotionally, spiritually, physically. That you would provide as we have need. That we would hear the still small voice of the Lord in this long journey that we are in. To rise and eat, to take in the word of God. To be like the, the men of Nehemiah's day with a sword in one hand and a trial in the other, to keep serving our families and our spouses and our loved ones and people linked to us in our lives, to do ministry. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that burns in our hearts to deliver to others and give to others. So Lord, show yourself strong on our behalf. And day by day, look into you, being strengthened by you, being encouraged, comforted by you. Father, I want to pray if there's anyone that's listening tonight that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news is this, that Jesus loved you so much the Son of God came and died for you and for your sins. He went to that cross and your sins were placed upon him as he made atonement for your sins and then he cried out, it is finished. He did the work. He paid the price. He was put into a grave and he rose again. And he is alive. He's the only one that conquers sin and death. No other religious leader did that. He proved that he's the son of God and he validated what he did on the cross. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He is your salvation. It is not a church. It is not you. It is not your righteousness. It is Jesus Christ alone. And it is coming in faith, in belief in him, in faith in the finished work of the cross, and confessing that you are a sinner, and repenting in need of him, to call out to him. He loves you so much. And you can do that right now. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of me, of my sins. You died for me, for my sins. Forgive me. And I believe that your life speaking to my heart. And I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. I give my life to you now. And I thank you for bringing me into the family of God in this new beginning. And I thank you for tonight. And I thank you for the good news. Because I've realized that this world is not my hope. But you are And if you prayed that prayer, will you please contact us here at the church? We want to bless you and get a, just follow up with you, encourage you any way that we can. Father, I pray you bless everyone here. We do look forward when we come together again. Lord, we pray that that would be soon. In the meantime, we pray for wisdom, for guidance, 
Lord, for strength. And I pray you bless the families and their needs and their children. And Lord, help us keep our eyes on you in every way. We thank you for tonight. Bless everyone here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.